Okay, we're going to turn to God's word tonight, um, just for a bit, because you're probably wondering what on earth you're doing with a lovely, shiny white stone. Has everyone got one, by the way? Latecomers, you got one? Oh, good man, you're not late, really, it's fine. That was mean, wasn't it? <laughs> Love you, Charles. Um, has everyone got a stone or who wants one? That's great. That's fantastic. I, all will explain, all will become clear. Um, Mick and I, when we're thinking about and praying about freedom services, we tend to just come with a blank slate and say to the Lord, what is it? And we tend to just respond to a hunch or a nudge or a sense that the Holy Spirit's saying something. And tonight, we just want to press into and invite you to think about and comprehend again deeply the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. It's as profound and as simple as that tonight. The goodness and the faithfulness of our God. And we're going to do it just by reflecting on a a scripture and then responding um, together. And the the scripture I'm going to read comes from 1 Samuel 7. Uh, Could you bring up the bring up the thing. You will know, many of you, what the passage is from this. Ebenezer, thus far has the Lord helped us. Um, If you don't know this story yet, then listen up, all become clear. So Samuel, just to recap, remind you, was the, the, the prophet, priest, leader just before the first kings of Israel. So you think about the kings Saul, David, and Solomon, um, Samuel was the kind of leader before, just before them. And at this point, he's just kind of taken over the lead. And uh, this happens. It says this, Then all of the people of Israel turned back. They turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and he sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. 
saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Think for a moment. Um, There are times in life, aren't there, that we deem so significant that we choose to mark them in some way. Uh, There are moments when your family perhaps gathers with such a full and rare family gathering that you have the ritual of the timed photograph. You know the one, right? Where the uncle that you barely know insists that everyone stands right in the glaring sunlight and kind of gets out an old camera and screws up the timer and tick, tick, ticks it and everyone sort of stands like we're all Victorians and poof. We do it with a mobile phone these days. Maybe it's a selfie that you take. But you mark the moment. And I have memories of moments in my childhood based on my uncle getting out his tick-tick camera and doing exactly that. But perhaps it's a special anniversary, you buy a special gift, you take a special holiday, you do something crazy like bungee jump or hot air balloon ride. There are certain moments we consider worthy of being marked in our lives. And we do it in society too. A principal of a significant organisation retires and a painting is commissioned of this person. Or as an important treaty is signed, maybe you saw the impeachment of Trump, the pens that are used become these valuable gifts. Um, And so they use 20 pens to write their signature so that each one is a valuable, this is the pen that signed the treaty. Um, I'm not sure the ones that signed Trump's impeachment are worth much money anymore, I think. Bless them. Um, I'm not wading into American politics, but those pens are not quite as much as perhaps they'd hoped. Um, Perhaps a special dignitary comes and, you know, the little, the little uh, red velvet curtain and the little cord and there is the brass plaque marking the moment. For Samuel, this is a moment that he wants to mark with God's people. We're talking a story here over 3,000 years ago and yet we've got such insight into the story. It's here in God's word. This is a moment worthy of being marked. Here the Israelites finally get their great victory after, against their enemies who had beaten them consistently time and time again. This isn't just out of the blue, this story. The Philistines have been routing them. They have been killing them. And because of this victory, a time of peace was finally ushered in. Interestingly, the place that Samuel set up this stone to mark this moment wasn't always a happy place or a good place. Interestingly, it was about 20 years before this story that this very spot where he raises the stone, the Israelites had been routed themselves by the Philistines. They'd been overwhelmed and humiliated. Thousands had been killed. And the most important artefact of all for them, the Ark of the Covenant, that place that God had promised to dwell in, for them in that time had been taken and this was a moment of such devastation for them that they, it was basically became known as the moment when God's glory seemed to have left Israel. That's how bad this was. People would say, do you remember when God's glory left us? But at that time, God's people had not been interested in his ways. They just wanted to use God, this idea of God they liked. He's our God. We want to use his power to win our battles. Thank you very much. But they didn't love him, they didn't choose to serve him or follow him. But now in this story we hear something very different. Twenty years later, and they've returned to him with all their hearts. Samuel called 
his people back to God. And this story is so rich, honestly, if we had time and we don't tonight, it is so rich to unpack it. It begins with a desire in their hearts, then a decision to turn back to God, then has this practical response of throwing away all their other gods and their icons and the things that were hindering them. And then there's an assembly of God's people, then there's an intercession by Samuel, asking for God to help them. Then there was this offering given to God, and then there was fasting, and then there was confession. I mean, there's loads in this story. They're going for it. They say, we have sinned, God. We have messed this up. And it's at this point that Israel's enemies hear that they're kind of meeting in this this kind of sincere way and they think, ah, there's a chance just to smash them again. We're going to go in and we're going to wipe them out. So next there's fear. And then there's a desperate cry to God, rescue us. God, rescue us. In this place, this place where your glory left us, rescue us. And the Lord answers In this place of humiliation and pain, the Lord now thunders and there is a breakthrough. He makes it clear that he had never left them. He had not failed them. He was their God and he was with them and he brought them a mighty victory that day. So Samuel takes a stone and he sets it upright in this place to mark this moment. And he calls it Ebenezer. And we can't help but think about Ebenezer Scrooge, but I think this came first. I think it predates Dickens slightly. And he pushes up this stone and he sets it there. This is Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. And he declares, thus far the Lord has helped us. For as long as it stood, this stone will be a monument to remind all of those who see it of the great victory that with God's help, with God's hand, they had won here at this place that now became known as Ebenezer. If you walk through the streets of London, I don't know if you've ever done London. I love London. I haven't done it for years. A fascinating place. Any other major city, it's the same. You will see so many stones or statues or monuments, right? Full of it. Nelson's Column, the Egyptian obelisk on the Thames, the Victoria Memorial. There are so many, each beautifully carved and designed, each one standing there, proud and grand, a monument to a great victory or a great empire or a great ruler of old. And each one offers memories of the glory days of old. And yet Samuel Stone, I want to say to you, is different. Because every one of London's monuments... are like a dead monument, monuments to that which is gone, each one a marker of something that once was, but now is no longer. Samuel Stone on that day, his Ebenezer, was so much more than that. You see, it wasn't just a dead monument to a one-time victory or to a God who had once helped them in the past. It was a living testimony of the faithfulness of God, then and always. It was to be a reminder to God's people, not just that it was with God's help that they won this battle, or that they'd got this far, but in hearing that, it was a reminder that he was the one who was faithful to them and would lead them on. He was faithful then, and he is faithful now. There are many monuments in this life, friends, to the dead hearers of old. Monuments to victory now gone and forgotten. Monuments to empire long since faded. But when Samuel set up his Ebenezer, it was a testimony, a living testimony to who our God is. Our God who is living, 
who he is and always will be. It was not a stone of Israel's glory. It was a stone of God's faithfulness. And if you think about it, it was actually quite an honest stone that he put up there. It did not say we are mighty. It did not say we win battles. It was not an arrogant stone or a proud stone. It did not say that life makes perfect sense to us and we've never suffered or that we can't be beaten. No, it was in a place where they'd known such suffering. But it was a stone that simply marked the deep and unchanging truth that God is the one who led them thus far and he is the one who will lead them now in the present and he is the one who will lead us in the future. It is not a dead monument but a living testimony of the goodness of God. And that's the invitation for us all tonight to share in that testimony, to realise again that truth. You see, generation after generation of believers who've come to know God, our Lord, our Creator, our King, our Saviour, our Friend, they've come to realise that it is true. God is faithful even when we are not. When we stuff it up, He is the faithful one. I stuff it up and yet he is faithful to Matt and I need him to be. That's why I'm here. That's why I could even dare to be a minister. That doesn't make sense. I stuff up all the time along the way and yet God is faithful and he calls and he holds me and I love him and I know most of all I'm loved by him. Our God will never fail us Our God will never fail us, even when our health does, even when our family does, even when our own ability does or striving does. Our living testimony is not that everything is perfect or easy or makes all the sense this side of heaven. But our testimony is that there is not a single step we can take without him by us, if we trust him. And that's amazing. Even when we walk through the darkest valley, and for me this week, Journeying with Daniel's family, that's a significant text. Even when we walk through the the valley of the shadow of death, he is our comfort and our guide. We do not walk that path alone. There is not a single one. That deep feeling of I'm alone in this, no one gets me, no one knows my hurt, no one knows what I'm going through, no one knows the struggle. The Lord is closer than your breath. He is with you, he is in you. You are not alone. He is faithful. He is not the God of the dead or the past or the has been. Jesus said he's the God of the living. The God who was and is and always will be. Jesus, the same yesterday, today and forever. He's the God of those who've gone before us and boy, there are some amazing people who've walked before us in this journey. We think like we're working out the Christianity thing on our own. No, 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 no. We are just flying flying on the breeze that our brothers and sisters have just made in their wake and we are just learning to follow them and we know that it's a testimony that they have declared God is faithful. People that face death because of their faith cry out that God is faithful. It is the testimony we join with the witnesses of today all around us, all around the world, here in this room the, the church is all over Britain, all over Europe, 
all over this world right now and we also join tonight in the witness and the testimony, the living testimony of those who will come after us long after we're gone and gone to glory. The testimony of Christ will resound that he is faithful. He is faithful. He is good. You know, our God said, and I love these words, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And you know, when he was saying that, he wasn't just saying nice words to make us feel good. He wasn't just going, oh yeah, that sounds like a nice thing to write in the card. But I don't really know it. You know, he's the only one who could say those words and mean it. He's the only one who's ever said those words and can 100% guarantee them. We might say to our friends or our family or a loved one, I will not ever leave you or let you down. But what we're really saying is, as far as I'm able, I never want to do that. But we stuff up. We get it wrong. There are unforeseen tragedies. There are things we can't control. But not with God. Not with our God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But what about, I'm there. I was, and I am now, and I always will be. So friends, I want you to hold your stone for a moment. For some of you thinking, what we're going to do with this, it's nothing, nothing amazing, uh, nothing scary, nothing big. But actually, I invite you into this moment. This moment can be whatever you need it to be before God. I invite you, like Samuel, to be honest for a moment, that this response would be an honest response from you. Because if you trust Jesus tonight, it is true that he has and is and always will be faithful to you every step of your journey in this life, no matter what. He will always be filled with goodness towards you, kindness, grace and care. And if you don't know Jesus tonight or you're still working it out or you don't really know what faith is all about, I want to say to you there is a God who is for you and a God who calls you to understand that he is good and he's calling you to trust him and follow him, a God you can call out to and he will hear. So we're going to dwell tonight just on the goodness and faithfulness of God and we're going to mark this moment of thinking by bringing up our stone and laying it here at the front. And they're not going to be dead monuments, but living testimonies of the God who is faithful and was faithful and always will be faithful. Look at your stone for a moment. It's quite a nice sparkly white one, isn't it? don't know where you got that from, Mig, but they're quite trendy quite contemporary. But before you lay it, and we're going to sing, before you come and lay your stone, take a little time. Take a moment. This is an opportunity for you, not just me, but all of us, not just the person next to you, but for you to reflect deeply for a moment. It's an opportunity to remember, a time of remembering the moments when God has come through for you, when you have known and seen his faithfulness, when a battle has been won and you know it was him at work.
It's a time of remembering that not all battles have been won. The Ebenezer was raised in a place of pain as well as victory. But that God is still faithful in all things. God is still good. It's a time of remembering that the God who is faithful in the past is faithful today and will be faithful tomorrow. He never changes. For some of you, laying this stone is saying thank you for the moments in your life that God has brought you through. For others, it might be asking God for the future. Lord, I need your help to bring me through. That God would guide and lead you and help you in the battles you face ahead. If you know him, you can even lay a stone if you don't. If you want to just mark a moment and just say, Lord, and just putting that down. If you're there and you're listening, come and help me. Come and walk with me. Whatever that looks like. We can all ask him for his help tonight. For all of us, it's a recognition that God doesn't change. He is faithful. He is good. He is with us now in this moment. A stone of thankfulness, a stone of faith, a stone that's not a dead monument, but a living testimony.